he was innocent and in prison for, I think, like 40 years or something. And he was sent to the hole of solitary confinement to break his spirit. To make sure he never hoped again or gave inspiration to his uh, cellmates again. Some of you have been hit hard by life. Some of you have been treated deeply unfairly. Some of you have experienced maybe disease or the death of a loved one or divorce or betrayal of some kind. And the enemy's desire was to crush your hopes or your desire or ability to hope again. Don't you dare hope again or I'll crush you again. But in this movie, Andy held on to his hope. He would not allow his hope to die. Why? Because he knew that he couldn't live without it. Even in prison, he could not live without hope. The Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so many people, maybe some of you in here, are living with a sick heart. Because you've been deeply disappointed. But here's why you and I cannot live without hope. Because our calling from God is to be givers of hope on the planet. I don't know if you know that, but that is your primary purpose in life, is to be a hope peddler, a hope dispenser, a giver of hope. Are we walking with the God of hope? So if we, God's people, live hopeless because of our disappointments, we have nothing to offer the people we work with, our relatives who are far from God, our neighbors, our friends. And I don't want to be in that condition. And believe you me, I've been through some tough stuff, and I've been really tempted not to dare hope again, because as Red said, hope is a dangerous thing. What's dangerous about it? Because it can hurt when it doesn't come to pass. But if, hope, but if Andy allowed hope to be snuffed out of his life, he would have had nothing to offer Red, and then they both would have lived hopeless. This may come a shock to you, but I have father issues. Anybody else? Just, you know, you can raise your hands if you're bold, okay? We all do because there's no perfect father. And God has put into the heart of, uh, into the makeup of fathers, authority that we cannot escape. Like one time my wife said, um, you know, I don't have father issues. My, my dad was abusive, but it, does, it hasn't affected me. You know, and you want to say... You're the only one that believes that, <laughs> right? I mean, isn't it funny how we have our brokenness and we think we're hiding it really well and we deceive ourselves, but everybody around you knows, right? Because you live, you live with them or you know them and we all are broken in some way, shape or form. And so uh, once you come to realize, yes, I have been deeply affected, then you can uh, embark on the healing process. And so in my mid-20s, um, I realized that my father's issues were sabotaging me. And so, thank God, I began learning about the goodness of my Father in heaven. And one day, this is just an example of hope and being able to give a, be a giver of hope. One day, the Lord said to me in prayer, it, just, it, just, it was one of the freeing moments of my life. He said, I was your father before your father was ever born. It took me from... It, it translated me from thinking that my life began when my dad was born right here or when I was born to all the way back here where God originated me in his heart and his mind. This was, see, Jesus said this, I came from the Father, I'm going to the Father, and he has put all things in my hand, which is why he then could take off his kingly robes and put on a servant's towel and wash people's feet and not need any, any affirmation from human beings because his significance came from the Father. Can I hear an amen? Okay, now we all know that's true, but, you know, getting there from here is the journey, isn't it? And thank God if you had a wonderful father, but, you know, everybody's broken. Even God is a pretty good dad, but Adam and Eve still felt like they had to find their needs somewhere else. So for, the parent, for all of us parents uh, who feel like we uh, have damaged our kids from our imperfect parenting, well, you have. 
and they're going to have to get over it, and they're going to have to find the Father God, and they're going to have to find their healing. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's like, well, they're going to have to get over that. I just screwed up there. You know, I'll pray for you. It's just part of living on the earth and living with the rest of the imperfect human race. So I say all that to say uh, one of the um, teachers at Ramona High School uh, had a meltdown. He's a mid, mid-20s guy, and uh, he got fired. And so I, my heart went out to him. So I called him up. And I, I called him up a couple months ago, and I knew he was struggling. And uh, so I called him up and said, hey, can I buy you a taco? And, of course, he's thinking that it's a parent that's going to chew on, chew on him about his teaching. And uh, I just wanted to get to know him. I had no agenda but just to get to know the young man. And it really just, I could tell it really took him back. Well, then um, he just had a meltdown again this week. And so I emailed him again and said, hey, can we get another taco? So we met at Rubio's up in Ramona. And, and uh, so we got to talking. And I thought for a young man that's in his mid-20s to be having this kind of a meltdown, clearly he's going to have... He has father issues. He has a gaping hole in his soul. He's, he's trying to find his affirmation uh, in life through temporary things, you know, a career and accolades and successes. And so we're having a taco, and I said, hey, tell me about your dad. What's your relationship with your dad like? And pff, here it came. Because I, here's the point, because I worked through my father issues to the place where I can live a, you know, a um, halfway decent, healthy, emotional life. I was able to tell him my story and introduce him to the best father he will ever know. And I could see it sink into his eyeballs all the way down into his soul. I could see that healing feeling just, I could see him drinking it in. And I was so thankful that I didn't live a bitter life from abuse issues or abandonment issues, but I grabbed a hold of the God of hope for me and decided that I'm going to be a good father myself. I'm going to learn how to have the father's heart, and I'm going to father others. And I was able to transfer the father heart of God to this young 20-something and give him hope. We are called to be givers of hope on this side of heaven. Some of you, like Red, need to move past your fears and embrace hope again. Some of you are living self-protective lives where you don't want to be in a relationship because you're going to get hurt again. Maybe you're disappointed with God and you want to believe you don't want to believe God for big things anymore because you prayed for your aunt or your uncle or someone and they died of a disease and you're just not going to pray those kind of prayers anymore. That's like Babe Ruth saying he's not going to go up and try to bat anymore because he strikes out more than anybody in the history of baseball. Did you know that? That Babe Ruth struck out more than any other batter. Did you also know he hit more home runs than any other batter? You see, you can't quit swinging just because you strike out. And I know that's a pretty shallow example when we're talking about people dying and people suffering. But the, but, but the parallel is, is, uh, has integrity. You can't stop believing and hoping because you've been disappointed in the past. Or you'll have nothing to offer and you'll live with a sick heart. The psalmist said, I would have lost heart if I... Unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. You just got to keep swinging. And so the five anchors of hope that we have looked at over the last uh, seven weeks are these. Here's the five anchors of hope we've looked at. The promises of God, prayer to God, the presence of God, the people of God, the proclamation of the good news of God. And this last one, the proclamation of the good news of God is the most important of them all, I believe, and it's the truth that we're looking at today. And the next Sunday is Easter, where we'll look at the hope of the world, Jesus Christ himself, and we will be done with our hope series. But my prayer is that hope is being restored into your soul so that you can be the one that is talking to a friend or someone like a teacher at a high school or whoever it may be, and you can have decided courageously that you are going to be one who lives with hope 
on this side of heaven so that you have hope to give those who are hopeless. And I want to say this to you. Why is this last one, the proclamation of the good news, this anchor the most important? Because for those who have given their life to Christ Jesus, even if not one of your hopes ever come to pass again on this side of heaven in this temporary life, you still have something that the majority of the people on the planet do not have. And that is eternal hope through Christ Jesus. Come on. Think about it. We get so anchored in this temporal life that if some of our temporary prayers, and some of them are really, really important prayers, like when I prayed for my wife not to have cancer, I wake up in the middle of the night and I am wrestling. I'm literally yanking my wife's arm back and forth, wrestling with a demon. And it woke her up, and she's like, what are you doing? She woke me up, and I mean, I said I was wrestling with a demon, and I sat in a chair all night long, Speaking and interceding to that demonic spirit that was trying to take my wife. And I lost that temporary battle. But we're winning now because she's looking really cute with that curly hair. And she's back in her Ph.D. program. Talk about a girl who should have thrown in the towel and given up hope. And I asked her, why didn't you give up hope? And she said, that's not an option. I can't do that. I will die. And that's what that's what. Andy said to Red in this movie, get busy living or get busy dying. And my wife has chosen to get busy living. Amen. Amen. And so what are we talking about really? What are we as followers of Jesus Christ really talking about? Are we really going to be the people of God that say, what have you done for me lately? And if you don't answer my immediate prayer, I'm going to throw in the towel on you after you hung on the cross for me and you shed your blood for me and you've given me a seat in heaven that I don't deserve. I'm going to get mad at you because one of my temporal prayers on this planet don't get answered. And by the way, as we're all caught up in that temporary mindset, most of the world is dying and going to hell. Yet we don't really care about that because we are anchored in this temporary life and only 1% of the body of Christ actually shares the gospel with people who have no eternal hope. Exactly. Exactly, young lady. She said, oh my God. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? I want to take you to the book of Hebrews real quick because these are some great scriptures for us to really get the eternal perspective that we must have as the followers of Jesus Christ. I'm putting the screws to you this morning. I know. I know that I just embarked on the most popular topic in Christendom, evangelism. I know that. I know that all of you right now are just so excited that we're talking about evangelism. And I know everybody feels so wonderful about how many people you've witnessed to this week. I'm sure that you just feel wonderful about the fact that you have been deeply committed to the Great Commission and you have prayed for and witnessed to everybody you know and you're still looking for people that haven't heard the gospel yet. I know. So let me suggest this. I know that I'm hitting smack into the topic that is the most intimidating and the most uncomfortable for believers. But I pray to God that we can get over that. My hope for the Gathering Place Church is, and I know it's a big hope because I'm going against the 99%, but listen, and I believe our church is much, uh, way beyond the 1%. My hope is that every person who calls the Gathering Place their church home will make their primary purpose in life, because it already is God's primary purpose for you. I'm just trying to get us on His page. My hope is no matter what your vocation is, And no matter what your temporal needs are, my hope is that everybody who calls the Gathering Place Church their home will make bringing Jesus to people and bringing people to Jesus their primary purpose in life. Amen. Amen. Did you hear it? Out of the babes, the mouths... Of, of, out of what did I say? Out of the mouths of babes and suckling infants is what the old King James says. God has ordained praise. 
Let's look at this temporary mindset. It's so critical in the chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. It's called the Faith Hall of Fame. These are the greatest men and women of God who went before us. Let's look at their mentality. So look into the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. Let me, uh, let me go there. You guys will be looking at the uh, PowerPoint behind me or your Bibles in your lap or on your phone. And the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, starting in verse 13 through 16. These all, talking about Abraham and Isaac and, and, and all the faith people that went before us, Noah, and all these died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off or assured of them, that's hope, seeing them afar off or assured of them, embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. We say this with me, I am a stranger. And a pilgrim on the earth. This is not my home. Come on, say it again. This is not my home. We've got to get this in our internal system. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly if they had called to mind the country from which they had come, they would have had an opportunity to return. But now they desire a better That is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Look at verse 24 through 26. Still in the faith hall of fame. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses was going to be the next Pharaoh, which is the king or the leader of the most powerful country on earth. And he says he refused to be called the Pharaoh's daughter. What did I say? The son of Pharaoh's daughter. Yeah, he probably refused. If, if they wanted to call him the daughter of Pharaoh, he would have said no to that too. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Isn't this amazing? Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. And then 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are people most miserable. If all of our faith in Christ is so that he can do stuff for us here, and that's all we're locked on, we are people most miserable. The way we journey through this temporal life as true believers is we are looking toward the return of Jesus Christ. And we are gathering as many people with us as we can on our way there. Heaven is our home. Can I have more than one amen, please? On the other hand, if someone is without Christ, and if every single one of their hopes and dreams in this temporal life come to pass, and it makes you just gnash your teeth with envy, seeing those who don't follow Christ get the promotion, Get the house, get the wife, get the husband, have beautiful kids, and they die without Christ. What do they have? In fact, I want to show you this very clearly in the book of First Thessalonians. Will you go there with me? The book of First Thessalonians is very clear about the condition of those who do not have Christ. If you're here today and you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, we are talking about you. Right here in church. But I want you to take notice of how much we care about you. That we would be spending this kind of time. And that I would be preaching this kind of forceful message. So that our attention could be on those who have not yet given their lives to Christ. Because coming to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Is the most important thing on this side of heaven. Nothing will ever compare to it. So we dedicate ourselves to learning how to present Jesus to you in such a way that you will receive him as your savior because that's the most important decision you will ever make in your entire life.
First Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13, going through 18. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. That's what Paul calls those who die in Christ. It's as though they just fell asleep because Jesus already destroyed death. So they usually, they literally use the term have fallen asleep. Lest you sorrow as others who, say it out loud. Say it again. Have no hope. Not some hope. Have no hope. We're in a series, 40 Days of Hope. And it's all been about us so far. That we are to have hope for God to bless us in this temporal life. But the majority of people that you see on a daily basis have no hope after they die. Come up with all sorts of weird belief systems to try to satisfy the curiosity and the question mark deep in their soul about what happens after I die. The pain, the sense of lostness that takes place at funerals, which I've done too many that I could count over 30 years of ministry, is palpable. When you're at a funeral and you are sitting there and you are faced with death itself, your philosophies go out the window. We don't know how to handle and grapple with death because we were not created by God to die. We were created as eternal beings to live forever. The fear of death is one of the greatest fears of the human race. In fact, the Bible says when Jesus broke death and you come to Christ, the first thing that is removed from us is the fear of death. What a way to live life. I'm not afraid of death. I would prefer to choose how I die, but death for us, you know, contrary to Jim Morrison and the Doors, who called themselves the Doors because he was, he was, he was, he was um, infatuated with the door to the other side, which is where that song came through, breaking through to the other side. He was completely consumed with what happens on the other side. Well, Jesus Christ himself calls himself the door. For us, death is just walking through the door and coming home. Oh, my man. Lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose, let me say this right before I continue. What I hope is happening, what I want to have happen, so I want to stop right here and just say it. I am hoping that the guilt, the shame of not being the kind of, quote, evangelist that you know that, quote, you're called to be because of the Great Commission. I pray we can just just get it out in the open, talk about the elephant in the, in the living room, and just say, yeah, I feel bad about it. Okay, now, can we just get rid of that so we can talk about the Great Commission? And, and try to move into it. It is a process. So maybe some of you will turn into flaming evangelists after this message, which is just be obnoxious for everybody who knows you, but great for Jesus. But what I want to do is try to get us moving into an evangelistic mindset that every person you meet, Jesus cares about. And you have the eternal hope of God right on your tongue. Jesus loves you. He died for your sins. If you receive him as your savior, you will be saved. That's it. That's it. That's the whole message. Can you believe it? How simple it is? And the Bible says that message I just gave to you is the power of God to those who believe it. You do not have to have a Ph.D. in systematic theology. You don't have to know the Bible front to back. You just have to know what I just said, which all of you know. Jesus died for your sins, rose from the dead. And if you'll receive him as your Savior, your sins will be forgiven and you shall be saved. That's the gospel message. And then your testimony about how God has touched your life. Nobody can argue with that. That's it. You're equipped. You're ready to go. You're ready to share. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this, 
we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain will, until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who fall asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So the movie ends with red in paradise. Temporal paradise, but paradise compared to 40 years in prison. But the only way that he made it there was because Andy shared his hope with red and red believed it. Do you know that Jesus has a hope? We're talking about 40 days of hope. Do you believe that Jesus hopes things? Not a hope so, but a confident hope that he dreams, that he has desires. Look what 2 Peter 3, 9 says. Let's get this up on the board. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing, some say desiring, that's a hope, that's a dream, desiring that not that any should perish, but that all, all, everybody say all, all should come to repentance. Every person, even that quirky, annoying, irritating person that you have to work with, even that cantankerous relative, even that distasteful neighbor, even your worst enemy, Jesus cares about that individual. And Jesus says to you and me, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's what Jesus said to every one of his disciples when he first met them. Follow me and I will make all of your dreams come true. Like Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite, right? I will make all of your dreams come true, right? Is that what Jesus says to us? Chris, I know you're going to hell. And I'm here to save your soul so that I can make all of your temporal dreams come true. I am your genie in the bottle. All you got to do is rub me just right. Say the Lord's Prayer three times. Poof, there's your wife and your children and your career and maybe even some hair. Because I can make all of your dreams come true. Is that what Jesus said? Is he good? Yes. Does he make many of our dreams come true? Yes, because he loves us. But that is not why he called you and I. He called you and I to enabled us to escape eternal separation from God and then to tell people about him. Seek first the kingdom of God. That is every soul getting saved. Seek first the kingdom of God. What we do is we get saved and then we ask Jesus to start being a power of our kingdom. We were supposed to have the most radical paradigm shift on earth, when we gave our life to Christ, it's not about me anymore, it's about you. What are you doing? What are you about? How can I be a part of it? Well, John, actually, I'm calling you to be a pastor. Oh, um, uh, you know what I said to him when he told me that? I said, that's a really bad idea. I, I told him that. I said, because I am selfish and I only care about me, and you know that. So that's a really bad idea. Okay, so what I'm preaching today, and if you actually pray this prayer about getting God's heart, which we're going to close with in just a few minutes, I'm telling you it's a dangerous prayer. Because I told the Lord, I am really selfish. I don't care about other people. So it's a really bad idea that you call me to be a pastor. But I know it's your will, so okay. But I'm telling you it's a bad idea. Then one day I was standing on a street corner and I was weeping because one of my employees I'd led to the Lord had backslidden. Actually, two of my employees had backslidden, and they were in an adulterous relationship. And it crushed me. And I'm weeping. I'm standing on a street corner, Marlboro and University, down where I used to live, down in very dangerous territory. And I'm standing on the street corner, and I'm weeping. And I said to God, why am I weeping over these people? And he said, because I've given you a pastor's heart. And I said, well, can you take it back? (laughs) I don't want to. You can't live like this. 
And then one day I went on a 10-day fast asking the Lord to give me his heart. And after the 10th day, when people would share with me the tiniest concern in their life, I would start crying. And I said to the Lord, stop it. Human beings can't live like this, but that's how Jesus lived and that's how Jesus lives. He is easily touched with the feelings of our infirmities. When you and I want to be on God's page about touching every person that does not know Christ, we must have his heart. And so when you have his heart, you feel the deep need of those around you and you become the most compassionate believer. Judgmentalism goes, if God was going to judge people, he would have already done it. He's not judging. He's saving. And we are the extension of his salvation to every person we meet. I want to say, if you make this your primary purpose, you will always be on God's page. If you're wondering, what's God's will for me? Am I supposed to be a teacher? Am I supposed to be an engineer? Am I, what college am I supposed to go to? Who am I supposed to marry? How many kids am I supposed to have? What city am I supposed to live in? All of those are secondary questions. Whatever you do and wherever you go as a follower of Jesus Christ, God's primary purpose for your life is to bring Jesus to people and to bring people to Jesus. And I want to say it's a process. And I said that earlier. I want to say it again. It is a process. Jesus said, I will make you to become fishers of men. I remember the first time I did this, I uh, went to an evangelism explosion uh, course at Horizon. I used to go to Horizon with Mike McIntosh when I first came to the city in 1984. And I went to this little evangelism workshop, and um, they would teach us about how to share our faith. Then they'd put us on a bus, take us downtown, kick us out on Front and Broadway, and then pair us up in twos and tell us just to go on the street and start sharing the gospel with people. That is pretty darn intimidating. And I did it. And I'd walk up to strangers and I'd share the gospel with them, you know, and I was like just trying. It's just I just wanted to break out of my fear zone and just do it. Well, the next step was even worse. I thought, okay, I really need to learn how to do this. So I went and parked my car at a little strip mall and I opened up the hatch and I sat on the back of my little my little, you know, car and my hatchback. And I sat there waiting for the first victim that I was going to witness to. And this guy walks by, and I'm like, oh, I'm not going to witness to him. You know, and another guy walks by, I'm not going to witness to him. And then his mom walks by, I'm not going to witness to her. You know, and my heart's pounding, you know, it's like, oh, my God. And then this teenage girl comes walking down the sidewalk. And all of a sudden, I felt, you know, the anointing. And I just stepped out in front of her. She was like, I said, excuse me. It was, it was, it was, it was so raw and so bad, I don't even know how. God used it, right? I'm like, hi, uh, do you know Jesus? I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a horrible way to start. Do you know Jesus? Seriously? And we got to talking after he kind of stumbled into it. And she had once been a Christian, but she'd fallen away from it. And I shared the gospel with her the best I knew how. And Jesus loves you. He cares about you. I mean, it's so simple. I mean, God knows that we're all he's got to work with. He's not going to make the message complicated. Seriously. By the time we got talking, she was so excited about Jesus again. Thank you, Ron. That she literally turned around and ran, but she wasn't running from me. I promise you. I, I was there. I, I saw her eyes. I saw her face glowing. I saw her excitement. It was about excitement for Jesus. And she ran. I thought later she didn't even, she didn't even go to the store. It's like the woman with the water pot at the wells, right? Where she came to get water and she dropped her water pots, John chapter 4, ran to the town to tell everybody about Jesus. She totally forgot the errand she was running. That was the first time I stepped out to share my faith with somebody. I had to break through. And this is why so many believers don't share the gospel. I think three things. And I'm going to give you a couple practical points, do's and don'ts, and then we're going to close up. 
Why don't most followers of Jesus share the greatest news in the world? I believe, one, they're intimidated. It's intimidating, isn't it? Just be honest. Raise your hand if sharing the good news with people is intimidating. Just raise your hand. See that? Just look around. Just go, look, go ahead. Raise your hand if that's you. Intimidate. Look around. Okay, it's intimidating, right? Because we don't want to be rejected. We don't want to be called a Jesus freak. We want to lose our friendships. We don't want to create some kind of a weird reputation at work or whatever. It's intimidating. You don't want to be harassed and persecuted, okay? I want to say, we just got to get over it. People's eternal destinies are more important than our reputations. Do it wisely? Yes. Everybody say yes. Turn to your neighbor and say yes. But doing it wisely doesn't mean don't do it. Oh, I'm waiting to do it wisely. Indifferent is another reason we don't do it. We're just indifferent. We just don't care. And may God give us his heart. And feeling inadequate is another reason that people don't do it. So I want to I want to take a little bit of the pressure off. I'm going to give you some don'ts, then I'm going to give you some do's, okay? And then we're going to close up today. Number one, don't share the gospel with every person you meet. What? Can you believe I just said that after all this? No, that would be so counterproductive and you couldn't get anything done because you've got to run errands, you've got to go to school, you've got to live a life, right? I mean, it's just practically not possible, nor is it savvy. Remember, the Holy Spirit stopped Paul from going to one town. Jesus said, go preach the gospel to every person. So Paul's going to preach the gospel, and the Holy Spirit says, don't go to that city. Paul's like, well, that's weird. So then he's going to another city, and the Holy Spirit says, don't go to that city. He says, oh, wow, that's weird. And then he has a dream that night to go to Macedonia. So then he goes to Macedonia, he goes to Philippi, and the Philippian church is birthed. So the, the, the general rule is preach the gospel to everybody, but the Holy Spirit says, and I'll tell you when and who and how. Right? So I like Paul's method. Evangelism is a green light. It's a green light. I'm not waiting for a green light. I, I live with a green light. You should too. But then the Holy Spirit leads and guides us as we're moving. Secondly, don't share the gospel. Oh, I'm sorry. Don't plan to fill stadiums and preach to thousands. Only a few people in the history of the world have ever had the privilege of doing that. If you're called to that, praise God, it'll happen. You won't have to make it happen. It'll happen. But if you get these prophecies, you're going to go around the world, and you're waiting for this big prophecy to come to pass when Julie next to you at work is going to die and be separated from God forever. Okay, that's just an escape. All right, so get that out of your mind and realize the people that are directly in your circle of influence are the ones that God wants you to reach. Thirdly, don't plan to leave tracks on everybody's desk at work or at school. That's a really bad idea because then you get the reputation of being the freak. And now nobody wants to talk to you. Nobody wants to have lunch with you in the lunchroom anymore. Can I hear an amen? Don't call every relative you have and do an evangelism explosion on them. What is that? Evangelism explosion is, I use it. It's, it's simply the question, if you were to die tonight, do you believe uh, that you would go to heaven? That's a great question. I still use it like 90% of the time. Because the answer to that question tells you everything about where they are spiritually and their belief system. If they say yes, you say why? And they say, because I've been a good person. Then you say, well, actually. Or if they say no, then you could say, would you like to know how you can get there? Yeah, usually is what they say. Unless they're going to get into a debate, and that's a different story. But usually I found people, I, I just do not buy into this, this, this thing that's being purported that people don't want to hear the gospel anymore. I don't find that. I don't find that. I find people are really open to spiritual conversations. I think we're just not initiating them. And what you want to do, okay, and... And don't do this with your neighbors either. Don't go to every neighbor and ask them if they're going to go into heaven or hell. Evangelism explosion. And don't stay in your room and pray that God will send someone else to share the good news. Okay. Those are some of the don'ts for today. Okay, you want to do some of the do's? All right. Do pray for God to give you his heart for those who are far from him. 
That's the starting point. Because if it's all just tactical and robotic and cold-hearted and just because I'm supposed to because I'm a Christian, those who are lost, those who have no hope, those who don't know Jesus can feel that. They're just being processed. I'm asking you to pray the boldest prayer you've ever prayed other than your salvation prayer, and that is for God to give you his heart for those who are far from him. He'll do it. He's, he's, he's hoping that you'll pray that prayer. Another do. Do specifically pray for those you know who are far from Christ. Don't just pray big general prayers. Pray for people by name, for those who you know are far from God. And start now, start today, start this week, and start doing it for the rest of your life. Because Satan, the Bible says, has blinded the minds of people so they cannot believe the good news. So you must pray that God will open their eyes so that when you share the gospel, they can understand it and receive it. This is a spiritual battle we're in. It's not... A philosophical battle. It is a spiritual war. So you must pray for people individually. Do pray for God to give you open doors and opportunities to share your testimony. Pray for open doors. Paul begged the church to be praying for him that doors would be open to him that he would have access and opportunity to share the good news. Pray for God to give you opportunities. I'm telling you, if you'll pray that prayer today, this week, God is going to set up, Jesus will set up opportunities for you to share your testimony with somebody. I guarantee you he'll do it because it's your primary purpose. It's the whole reason Jesus hasn't returned yet. The only reason Jesus hasn't returned yet is because there are people he still wants to live eternity with. And then another do, do take those opportunities when they come. You see, there's so many opportunities Jesus gives to us, and we just don't take them because we're intimidated, we're indifferent, or we feel inadequate. I just want to say the best thing you can do is just ask questions. I do this. That's the next do. I was getting my hair cut. Do you like it? Kind of short, but. So I'm getting my hair cut, and the gal was cutting my hair. I'm thinking, I don't know where she's at spiritually. And I'm, I mean, it's just her and I right now. What a perfect opportunity. It's an opportunity. Sometimes we pray for God to give us opportunities. Other times we just got to take the millions of opportunities that are always around us. How many of you get haircuts? Raise your hand. You ever get a haircut? Okay, great. How many times have you gotten a haircut? Let's say you get a haircut once a month. Okay, or whatever you guys do. Okay, so think about how many times you've gotten a haircut. That's how many times you could have had a spiritual conversation with the person that cut your hair. So what I, you know, did talk to Brittany about, I said, uh, hey, I would love to get to know you a little more. We're cutting my hair. Tell me about, you know, where, you know, where, where'd you grow up and stuff, you know, because they have to have conversation with everybody. I mean, what a, what a laborious chore, right? You have to, you know, have the same conversation over and over and over with the person that cut your hair. Otherwise you sit there in silence for a half hour, 40 minutes, whatever. So I ask them questions. Tell me about your life. You know, where'd you grow up and where'd you go to school? And, and then I say, you know, so what was, do you have a like religious background or something? I just kind of do it in the conversation. And I've never had anybody say, I don't want to talk about that. Never. They just, and I, I say, and I say, you going to church on Easter anywhere? You got a place to go to church? Well, uh, no, I, uh, why are you? I say, hey, here, there's a little card. I'd love to you come to our church. Wear your jeans. It's comfortable, relaxed. That's great, right? And it would turn into a beautiful conversation. I did it yesterday. I was at the wheelchair, uh, you know, sports uh, deal. And uh, the gal that was passing out the wheelchairs and stuff, just got into conversation with her throughout the day. And uh, right at the end, I said, hey, you got anywhere to go to church on Easter? And she was like, uh, uh, and I said, well, here, here's a card, you know, love to have you come to our church. And that was it. Didn't preach at her or nothing. Just asked her if she wanted to go to church, give her a card. It just. That, that's the primary one I use. Do you go to church somewhere? That opens up the conversation about spirituality. And you just have a conversation with them. Uh, do go to our gospel conversations workshops with Stephanie Demink. Do so acts of kindness. 
which is a great way to share the gospel. And you say, oh, are you sharing acts of kindness just for the act of kindness sake? Or are you sharing the act of kindness so that you can have the hope of sharing the gospel with them? Yes. And do invite people to church. Um, I invited uh, the principal of Westview High School to our Easter service. I invited the guy, the principal that used to be the principal here for 10 years, and he was the principal of Poway High School for 20 years. I invited them. I mean, just inviting them to church doesn't hurt. They both said no, and I told them that they were going to hell, and we're, we're still good friends. You know I didn't do that, right? Stephanie, yes. You have something you want to say? Our missions director is coming up to talk about, I don't know why she'd want to say something on this topic. (laughs) I get so excited about what John's talking about. And this is an area where I really love to share the gospel, but I so want to grow. I want to see more people come to faith in Christ. Um, Just as you were sharing, I thought a couple of things that would might encourage you. You're familiar with the parable of the soils. There are four different kinds of people. There's the rocky soil, the thorny soil, the something, and there's the shallow. The shallow, but there's good soil. So we don't really have to worry about the rocky and the thorny and the shallow because we're looking for the good. good. Okay, so we if I throw a seed out there and someone's not interested, I don't have to talk you into it. Mm. I don't even have to. I don't have to share with you again next week or share with you again next week because I'm looking for the good soil. Jesus said they are out there. So I'm just trying to find them. And you cannot. Did you just sniff? Well, I, you, you can smell them? I can smell them. That's a, that well, must no, no, be a no. spiritual I, gift. I, I thought of it as an Will example. I want to be able to smell those who have good soil. No, no. Okay. No, I thought of this example that I read. Okay, so if you're, like, out walking down the street and you, if you like coffee, like I do, and like Alicia does, right, you smell coffee, you go, where's that coffee? And you go and you find it, okay? So that's what we're doing. We're trying to sniff out the good soil, okay, with our spiritual senses. So this is the thing. You do not know who the good soil is. You can't say, oh, I don't think she's interested because she just looks like she's got it all together. She's got all these pretty clothes and money and Everything, everything just seems great. Or, no, he's too far gone. He's not interested. Oh, he's homeless. You just can't tell because the gospel is the seed. If you throw something out there, they're not interested. Okay. Like Dallas Willard says, I refuse to carry the burden. <laughs> it's not on me. It's on the Lord. So we're just, we're just looking for who's open. And I have found that praying for people is a great way to see if they're spiritually interested. Everybody has problems, and if you're talking with people, I don't know. Maybe people just tell me their problems, but it seems like it doesn't take too long before something comes out. A few months ago, I was at Rubio's. This woman said, oh, she was just talking to me on my foot. I've got this problem, blah, blah, blah. I said, oh, can I pray for you? She said, no. I said, okay, fine. We just went on talking, and we got our food, and that was it. Um, but can I, can I tell you? That's a great testimony. Okay. It's not a great, but I, that's, I just put it out there. I just put it no, out there. She it wasn't is. interested. It, no, I'm being facetious. That is a really good testimony because if you, if all we hear are testimonies of evangelists who lead thousands to Christ with one message, we all feel like failures. We are like Johnny Appleseed, man. We're just dropping seeds all the time. That's the process. Yeah. Okay. Now, can I tell a good story? <laughs> then, 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 I'll, then I'll sit down. Okay, so um, I am looking for people, right? I want to share the Lord. Share the Lord. So this is this is my favorite story in America. I've got all these stories in India, but this happened in Carmel Mountain Ranch. Okay, so when I was pregnant with my daughter, you know, they always ask you um, when you're checking out of the grocery store. This was at Ralph's. Can I help you out? No, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Well, finally, I was just so big. Yes, help me out <laughs> to the car with my groceries. So this guy, Mohammed, he would always help me put my groceries in my car when I was pregnant. And we didn't have these great conversations. Just, hi, how are you? What's your name? Oh, I'm from Iran. This is that. Nothing. Well, one day I was at the grocery store, and I was just leaving, and um, 
I just had this thought, like, oh, I haven't seen Mohammed in a long time. I wonder if he still works here. And then I just got this pain in my heart. That's I it. said, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I never shared Christ with him. I said, if I see him again, I will share with him. <laughs> I am not kidding you. Like two seconds later, Mohammed was in my face. Wow. I said, wow, Mohammed, I was just thinking about you. How are you? And he, he just started telling me how everything was so terrible because his wife, his wife had just left him. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry, Mohammed. Can I, can I pray for you? And I'm telling you, I, didn't, I wasn't praying like, oh, well, let me pray because God's going to heal your marriage. It was like a prayer of compassion. But I, I just started praying for him, and I did pray that the Lord would heal his marriage. And then I got his number, and we had him over, he and his son over for dinner, and we shared the Lord with him. We, we, we first said, we're not going to shove it down his throat, right? He's hurting. We're just going to love on him. But then we couldn't not. <laughs> so we shared the Lord with him, and we invited him to come over on Thanksgiving. So anyway, we're developing this relationship, and Thursday morning he came by our house instead of calling. <laughs> he just came over. And he said, would it be okay if I invite my wife for Thanksgiving? I said, what do you mean? She left you. She said, no, she's back. Well, long story short, uh, they ended, I don't know if they love, they're on fire for Jesus now, but they, we did lead them to the Lord, we think. But this is the thing. He said to me, Stephanie, I know that Jesus brought my wife back. They're happily married wow. today. I know that Jesus brought my wife back because we were talking with all of our relatives in Iran. Everybody talked to her. We went to a counselor. We did this. We did this. And nothing would help. But then you prayed for us, and Jesus brought my wife back. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Amen. Look for the good All right. So let's all stand and let's pray a couple of prayers together. And... Uh, as soon as we're done with this, if you have kids in the children's church, you've got to do a straight line. Uh, hey, Daryl, can you uh, open those doors there, Anthony? Uh, can you have the box with uh, the invite cards? Because now that everybody feels really bad about not sharing their faith, they're going to grab some cards on their way out. I want that box empty. Can